available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. Six days ago, we did an episode. No games are going on. We're doing another one, Dave. Like that. I don't know if this ever happened to us ever, but we're, we're, back. we're getting on a track now. We're, uh, we're getting on a roll. Yeah, I mean, this is yeah, this is maybe the most frequently we've ever recorded in the off season, and we're going to do it every week. Yes, uh, and we have a good plan coming up for you. So, we'll just give you the, the logistics first. If you want to email us any kind of questions, pack twelve podcast at gmail dot com. We love to get your emails. Uh, you can tweet us. Uh, we've been kind of active on Twitter. When we say we, I mean me. Uh, Dave is That's not. A, it's a real royal we there. <laughs> uh, at Pack Twelve Podcast. That's our Twitter handle. Our website, where you can find our old episodes, is Pac12Podcast.com. And then our voicemail number is 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. Well, how are you doing, Dave? Hopefully everything's good. Everything is good. I no longer have the flu. Yeah, um, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling energized. We've got so much to discuss. By that I mean, yeah, we've got a little bit to discuss, yeah. but we've got we've got we've got time here with you, and it's exciting, and we're just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm very happy uh, to be here with you, Dave. And uh, it's it it is strange we don't have like a huge list of questions. There's not like a whole bunch of games to talk about. We could go back and recap all the bowl games just for fun because I'm just, sure that that worked just out to well. Say we did it again. Yeah, <laughs> it worked out well for the Pac-12. Uh, in the no, so there's a okay, a little bit of news. Um, there was a groundbreaking ceremony in L.A. for the now United Airlines Coliseum, not the Memorial Coliseum. How much are they paying for those naming rights? $69 million over 15 nice. years. Um, nice. So uh, most of my Twitter mentions were not positive. They're like, it's the United Airlines Memorial Coliseum. So all people are like, oh, did United Airlines die? What happened? Um, but. And you know they're poised. <laughs> they're poised to you know host uh, a third Summer Olympic Games in the Coliseum. Like no building's ever done that. Um, I you know I'm kind of I don't know what you think about it, but it's like I don't like those names. But no one's going to call it that. And if you get sixty nine million bucks and it doesn't really hurt you that much, uh, it's like eh, I guess whatever. But uh, there's a lot of USC fans that are like this is blasphemy. This is terrible. I get what they're saying, but that's eh, sixty nine million bucks. What are you going to do? I'm always amazed at the companies who are willing to spend that amount of money who already have like – I mean what would you – like the brand recognition of United Airlines. I mean is there a like percentage of the adult population in the United States that doesn't know what United Airlines is? I, I wouldn't think so. What is the purpose <laughs> of paying that much money to get your name on a stadium if you already have basically 100% brand recognition? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 
about when when they do a broadcast, they'll say like they're coming at you from you know United Airlines Memorial Coliseum, so you got to get it out there. It's like advertising. Um, but yeah, I don't really know because everyone on Twitter is like, no one's going to call it that. But I guess what they do if they do on television, then it helps. I guess you know, it gets the name out a little helps bit more. With, with what? <laughs> like what? What do you need to get your name out if you're United Airlines or like American Airlines or any of these huge airlines that have been around for like decades upon decades and everyone has had some experience with them positive or negative like what what are you gaining that's what i want to know yeah uh, obviously if you're usc and the coliseum you take the money i mean obviously but i just i i don't i don't get it yeah i'm not a big i don't really understand the whole you know all the advertising stuff like what this means that you know getting your name out there but uh we'll see but i mean there's when something goes bad like if something is wrong with the coliseum will that reflect badly on united when united like you know drags a guy like i've got all these tweets on my timeline about well they're going to drag you out of your seat and all that kind of stuff so there's uh i don't know um but i i just like i'm like a traditional guy i'd rather still it be the la memorial coliseum like sponsored by united airlines like what the rose bowl does or whatever um but i guess for that kind of money uh you have to have first billing I don't really care what anything is called. I mean, because it's going to be popularly referred to as the Coliseum, just the same as it ever was. Yeah. Uh, it's not like if the Rose Bowl suddenly became like the, I don't know, Zaxby's Rose Bowl, that it would be, you know, on first name basis as the Zaxby's Rose Bowl. It would be the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't get too excited about that. And you get your $69 million richer now. So I think that's a no-brainer for USC and company. It's just... I, 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 but this is like an old bailiwick for me because I never understand why anybody pays for these kinds of things if they're like already a big national brand. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. The big thing is I still think that the renovation design is, is horrible. Like they're putting a building in the stadium and, uh, it's totally like, you know, it's going to all be paid for by the people buying these expensive boxes for like 10 or $12 million each or whatever. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think it's going to look bad. We'll see. Um, you know, I think a lot of USC fans kind of complained about it. And no one really cared. So they're doing it. And I, to, to 2018 in the Coliseum is going to be a pretty miserable experience because all these seats are gone and they have to move everybody. And then the next year they have to move them all again. So it's going to be two years of kind of craziness uh, in the Coliseum. We'll see. We'll see how crazy it is next season and see if they can pull it off. Um, there was another story, Dave, I thought we could talk about. So in Oregon... Um, I saw this on John Wilner's email, but he a report by Oregon Live, Mario Cristobal, his staff at Oregon, uh, total compensation five point zero four five million dollars a year, and that does not include the tenth assistant uh, yet. So basically, they're up there uh, with the big boys um, as far as like coaching salaries go now Mario uh you know he's like two and a half million dollars so he's not like one of the highest paid coaches but as far as the assistant coaches pool um they are they are not messing around and you know it's it's uh it's pretty big I don't know it's a pretty significant um you know investment I guess you could say into this coaching staff yeah I mean I've been impressed with their moves this offseason I mean the move to retain Jim Levitt I mean that cost them a pretty penny um so that obviously plays into a, a ton of that number. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're eager to kind of get back to 
what they were under Chip Kelly and then in the first couple of years under Mark Elfrick. So they, I think they understand the dynamics of this, that you got to pay to do it. It was interesting in the context of paying that much for assistance that they did hire Mario Cristobal, the continuity hire, who doesn't exactly have like a phenomenal resume. I mean, obviously there were a lot of extenuating circumstances at FIU, but um, it's just interesting contextualizing that. Maybe they're deciding they're going to invest more in the assistant pool because they have a relatively inexperienced, unproven head coach. Yeah, that, you know, if it stands the way it is now, um, you know, the five point oh four five plus whatever, a couple hundred grand for a tenth assistant, um, they would be ranked number five in the country uh, according to two thousand seventeen numbers. But that's probably not going to hold. They'll they'll likely still be in the top ten, and they'll have the top. Um, salary pool in the conference now we don't know usc's and stanford's um you know stanford's had a lot of long-term coaches there usc's more it's a lot of newer guys so i, I wouldn't imagine usc's uh that high because clay Helton's not like a super high paid head coach or anything david shaw and stanford that could be higher but washington was previously the first of the public schools that we know uh, and it looks like you know and that's chris peterson and his staff We'll see what Chip Kelly and everything at UCLA, but Oregon to be up there um, with really, you know, not like a, you know, Chip Kelly, Chris Peterson, the proof has, has been there. We don't really have that with Mario Cristobal. So it's uh, it's a pretty bold move, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how that investment turns out for them. Um, and if it, if it does work out investing that much in assistance and the whole context of the staff, maybe it'll, you know, force other schools to open up the pocketbooks a little bit more. And we had a tweet that uh, that Dave was not even aware of. Like, do you do you even look at our Twitter account? Like, it's just yeah, sure, 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 sure. sure. <laughs> do we we have a Twitter? We have a Twitter. We want to grow it. We're almost to a thousand. Ah. So just get on there a little bit and do you know bring your different snark and uh, it'll be good. So ah. let's see. We had a tweet from. Let me look. It was uh, where? Oh, uh, I forget where. I've got it. The the pro football focused thing yeah but there was i forget who like pointed it out to us let me tweet twiddle twiddly dumb twiddly dumb okay that's twiddly dumb 80 uh at twiddly dumb 80 yeah uh tweeted us uh the pro football focus draft tweet when kept clean from pressure no pac 12 quarterback fielded a higher passer rating in 2017 than washington's jake browning yeah um so I just tweeted like seven. What did I say? I said uh, seven on seven special. Seven on seven specials. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, what do you, is that kind of surprising to you? Um, nah, their offensive line wasn't fantastic this year, so it it's not super surprising. Um, those pro football focus numbers are kind of always a little bit funky to me. Like it, it doesn't necessarily always pass my eye test. Um, I think they might. I don't know. I, I, they're obviously doing a lot more in-depth stuff than I am, so I'm not going to, you know, say anything. But I, I've heard that like some NFL evaluators don't necessarily love their stuff either. Um, so a little bit surprising. I don't think their offensive line was great this year, so I think he was under more pressure than he was, say, the previous year. But uh, yeah, I mean, but but you know, this is what you expect from a top eight in the pack 12 quarter <laughs> you expect this kind of performance yeah I'd, I'd be curious to see the other uh numbers and stuff but you know we're we want to be fair to jake browning that's that's pretty i mean that's a nice stat um 
you know, we'll see kind of going forward. He's coming back for a senior year. He's not retiring from football. He's coming back to play one more year. And we'll see what our boy Jake Browning uh, is able to do. We will. We will indeed see <laughs> all of his capabilities at uh, full bore. They're, I mean, do you think they're going to be the favorite for the, the North next year? Um, I think Stanford getting Bryce Love back is, is big. Uh, but, yeah, I think Washington should be the favorite. Um, I think Stanford will be right there. Um, we'll see what Oregon looks like. I didn't like how they looked in the bowl game, but the bowl game is a bowl game, so you got to take it with a huge grain of salt. But, yeah, I think it'll be like a, the kind of typical Washington-Stanford battle. Yeah, and I think um, – oh. Miles Gaskin is back, and we did not mention that on the show last week, and we got called <laughs> we, out for we got, it. So we got dumped on for that. Yeah, sorry. It's like you know, we there was a lot of guys. We, you know, that's but that's huge. Like to have him come back, you know, Jake Browning back and stuff. So I mean, I think there's there's some important pieces uh, coming back for the Huskies, and and like the tweet we talked about last week with the advanced metrics and stuff that you know had Washington the number one team in the conference, even though you know they didn't make the the championship game. So I think that bodes well for the Huskies kind of going forward and um, see if they can kind of get back there and, and you know, maybe make a, a run at the playoff spot that this, the Pac-12 would desperately like to, to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so those were the tweets. Uh, we have an interesting concept, I guess, and thanks to our buddy Hitler Day. So the next six weeks, we should be talking kind of about the same stuff. So maybe you want to explain what we're going to do here? Yeah, so um, if you guys remember, if you're longtime listeners, um, we promised that we were going to tackle this series from our uh, one of our listeners, Hithlade Almond, um, who wants us to get into kind of the structural factors of the different Pac-12 programs. Now, this built off of a first question we got um, several months ago that was asking us, what do we think the long-term or the, the upside potential is of every Pac-12 program? And Ryan had a very nuanced, good answer, and then I just was like, well, if any program has the right coach, they can all win a national championship, which I think is true, but it doesn't necessarily get into the depth of like what's different about, a, about each program and you know what, what factors are in play at each program. So Hithliday wanted us to get into that a little bit more. Um, so what we're going to do today, uh, because it's easiest for us, and we're just starting this out, and we're going to feel it out and see how you know, how long we can talk about these things, basically. Uh, um, we're going to do USC and UCLA today, and then hopefully do kind of the the school and its rival in each of the following weeks. So next week, not sure yet who we'll have. We're going to, I think, try for the Arizonas. Um, but see if we can schedule it so we get each one of those over the next uh, five weeks. And then starting this week, we'll do USC, UCLA. So... It should be a bunch of good stuff. Should we read his question in full just so that everyone has a lay of the land of what we're looking for? Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. All right. <clears throat> so Hitlerday says, uh, now that it's the offseason, perhaps I can interest you boys in getting a deep dive series going to examine the structural factors of Pac-12 programs. The following is my list of questions, which I think can be fairly asked of every school to measure their baseline strengths and weaknesses. And again, I'm trying to avoid answers which rely on a snapshot of current coaches and players. I'm hoping I can get you to start with this week's podcast by asking about a school which hopefully should require no research, USC, and let you know that I plan to ask the same questions about UCLA next week. So we're just going to do both of them, but that was his initial question. All right, so um, who do we want to start with? Do you want to start with USC or UCLA? Uh, it's up to you. What or you we think? can go back and forth question by question, talking about each so nobody loses interest. Yeah, we could do that. Okay. 
So the first question, so he's got three sections, uh, resources, recruiting, and politics. So let's tackle the resources first. So this is a few different questions. Um, does the school have the money to meet its program goals? Are the facilities adequate and modern? Does it have the financial ability to make a sudden, high-quality coaching change if it wants? Um, okay, you want me to start? Yeah, you start. Okay, so for resources with USC, um, it's a good question because I think that's a, a school, a program that does have uh, the money. I mean, as far as the school goes, they recently completed a $6 billion like endowment campaign to the point where the president, Max Nikias, added $3 billion to the goal because they finished it um, quickly. Now, does that mean that's not money that's, you know, earmarked or, or anything for football? But uh, as far as like money goes, it seems like, you know, they're doing okay. They just, we just talked about uh, a 60, $69 million um, naming rights deal uh, with the Coliseum from United Airlines. So I think that helps. And, the renovation project going on in the Coliseum right now uh, that's just started, it's a $270 million renovation. R- really, they're not even paying for I don't think they're paying for any of it at this point, or it's really small. They've sold all these luxury boxes. So the, I'm not a big fan of the renovation, but it, it allowed them to put these uh, luxury boxes like close to the field. So they're not like up in the, the top, you know, where most of them are. They're actually where like the good seats would be. There's like a building there now and there's luxury boxes. So I think there was 20 of them or 24 and they all sold for like 10 million bucks each on average. So they basically paid for the renovation costs just by selling uh, those boxes. So they also, um, I think facility wise, especially during the Pete Carroll um, era, wasn't, they were certainly not up to snuff. you know, of the top 25 programs at the time, and this is when USC was like always in the top three or four, they probably had the worst facilities. But they did a couple of years ago, um, you know, a lot of remodels happened. They, they opened the John McKay Center, which is all athletics and, um, you know, for all the athletes and everything. They, the Galen Center, of course, a few years ago. So get a more modernized basketball facility, but also for, you know, um, volleyball and, and and some of the other sports they all you know kind of work out over there so I think they've done a pretty good job of um, upgrading a, a lot of their facilities and it seems like you know the money uh, is there there's a lot of donors and um, it, it, it doesn't seem like if they're going to make a decision it's because they don't have the money they might not want to spend the money or they might not want to go out but I, I don't think they're being handcuffed uh, by money in that uh, aspect and as far as like, does it have financial ability to make a sudden, high quality coaching change if it wants? I think the financial ability <laughs> is there. Very, very specifically, the financial ability. Yes, there. I think it's there. I don't think the current administration uh, likes it, and we. This is interesting, and you know, I think a lot of fans, and you know, they assume. Okay, what's UCLA's goals or what's Washington's goal? It's everyone's goal in that building to win a national championship because that's like what the fans want, right? Like they want to beat the rival and go to the Rose Bowl and win it. Like that's what fans want. But I don't, I think you'd be surprised to find out that that's not necessarily what everybody (laughs) wants. And, you know, when Pete Carroll was there and, and doing a lot of winning, he wielded a lot of power. Like who's the most powerful guy? in the state of Alabama. It's probably Nick Saban in the entire state, right? 
Mm-hmm. If you say, who's the athletic director? It doesn't matter. Like if Nick Saban says, I want this, he gets that. Like the president of the university, he's so powerful. It doesn't matter that there's people that are technically above him. No one would back the president or the athletic director. They're going to back the coach. And I think Pete Carroll, certainly not to that level, but it approached that. And I don't think the powers that be at USC liked that. And so if you're going to hire a coach, is your number one goal to win a national championship and be the most successful football program you can be? Or is it to be, you know, maybe not be the, this crazy power wielding coach that's going to encompass everything? Um, I think that's where some of this comes into play, where they could go out and and try to hire, like could have tried to hire a Chip Kelly or something like that. But they didn't. They hired a Clay Hilton, who's like a, you know, a guy that they know, the guy was in the building already. And I think that's what has... He's a guy. He's a guy. He's a guy. He is a guy. Um, I think that what has fans, Dave, a lot of them kind of upset because the financial ability is should be there. It seems like it's there from everything we heard. The desire to do that, and even though all the fans are like, no, hire like whoever, if Nick Saban will come, hire him, you know, all that kind of stuff. That doesn't seem to be what the administration wants to do. They, I think they think we'd like to win a national championship, but we're not going to do it at the expense of having a super all-powerful coach in place doing that, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it does. So more or less have the money, but somewhat uh, uh, maybe a divided sense of program goals, at least like in a absolute standpoint Yeah, between maybe the fan base and the administration, which makes sense. Um, for UCLA, um, program goals, um, I would say it's probably like, obviously there are fans with, you know, who have the same goals and aspirations that, like, you know, a USC fan has. But I think, like, by and large, you're probably looking at a school that, um, you know, I, I think UCLA in its ideal world is competitive in the conference every year and wins it, you know, every four, five years, um, which is obviously not something that UCLA has done in – well, UCLA hasn't won the conference since 98 and hasn't been to – well, yeah, and hasn't been to a Rose Bowl since 99. So – um, as far as the money to meet those program goals, yes, um, it's not, um, it's definitely not a school overflowing with, with money or with, um, a huge donor base. Um, but UCLA does have a few well-heeled boat boosters who are worth quite a bit of money. Casey Wasserman, obviously being the, the primary one who's kind of the, the face of that donor group, but there are some, and you know, that's a pool that's kind of expanded of late, um, you know, there've been some, some, you know, additions to the donor base that have, that have helped. Um, and I, I would say like the, the mid tier commitment from like mid level donors and, and that sort of thing, uh, that can always improve, but by and large, I would say they have the money to meet those goals. Um, not an overflowing abundance, but certainly, certainly the ability to do it. Um, from a facilities standpoint, UCLA, um, like USC for the longest time had probably among the worst facilities in power five college football. Um, they had the famous 80 yard practice fields. They still have those. Um, but they also, uh, didn't have a football dedicated facility. Um, and it was, you know, they invested in the Acosta center, which was a athletic only facility, um, several years ago, but that didn't really cut the mustard for football programs. Um, and then, Recently, they invested in a new football-only building that just opened this past summer um, that's really, really nice, um, has all the amenities 
that you'd want. And then in addition to that, some basketball facilities as well, the practice facility, and as well as a huge renovation of Poly Pavilion. So they've had the money to uh, invest in several big capital projects in only the last you know decade or so. So that kind of speaks to the resources available. Um, and then obviously, does it have the financial ability to make a sudden high quality coaching change if it wants? I mean, yeah, they just did. Um, now, <laughs> I, I, I think there's um, I don't know if they'd be able to do that with like both sports in the same year. Um where they could just, you know, say, yeah, screw the buyout. We're just going to fire this guy and get the guy we want. Um, but I think it spoke to some of the those big boy resources that UCLA is starting to get, um, where they suddenly do have the money to do those sorts of things. And it speaks to a level of commitment uh, internally. Um, and I think we'll get to this in maybe the politics section of this that I think a lot of longtime UCLA observers hadn't really seen because the money, in theory, UCLA's donor base should be great. Um, a lot of, you know, very wealthy people have come out of UCLA. I mean, it's the biggest, you know, public university in California, obviously, but also, I mean, it's, it's generated some, you know, big time people in entertainment, um, throughout various industries, um, that, you know, you, you would think that the donor base should be pretty sizable. Um, and I think with this kind of increased showing of commitment, um, from the UCLA administration and whether that, if that leads to to wins on the field, I think that's only going to grow uh, the booster base. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, the it seems like facilities were probably lacking in a lot of the Pac-12 programs, maybe not Oregon. Um, and, you know, the, the money from 12 years ago, like when the initial Pac-12 TV deal seemed to kind of help spark some of that. And we've seen a lot of improvements. So I'm curious to see what uh, some of the other programs say, too. But you know, we've definitely seen some improvements here uh, in Los Angeles uh, that has helped. And, um, you know, we'll see if that kind of keeps going forward. But the big one, you know, to me is obviously Chip Kelly. Like, were you convinced that this was a program that was willing to go out and get a, a Chip Kelly? Because, I mean, that's it's a huge factor. No, that they did no. That. On this on this very show, like the week before that happened, I was like, yeah, Jim Moore is probably not going to be fired. Um, and. Like, there was still, like, a little bit of, like, eh, has he done enough to get fired at this point? Usually I'm, like, on board with, yeah, fire the coach, fire the coach, fire the coach. And, like, you know, I, I you could have talked me in – well, no, you couldn't have talked me into giving him one more year, but I could have understood that to be a reasonable position. And UCLA will almost always take the position of uh, just maintaining the status quo for another year. So that really was, a like, a game changer in my perception of UCLA because, as everybody who listens to the show knows, I – I sometimes uh, I, I sometimes snark a little bit against my <laughs> my beloved alma mater, um, but uh, yeah, no, I thought that Wait. that was a really impressive, really impressive hire. It changed a lot of my perceptions about what goes on at UCLA, and and I think maybe um, maybe is a signal of of what their plans are for the future. Color, you went to Colorado, right? I thought you were a big Colorado. Yeah, yeah, no, longtime Buffs fan, but uh, <laughs> I, I did I did attend UCLA. Nice. Um, okay, so I guess we should move on to number two. Recruiting. So, does the school have first pick of the best recruits in its area, and how valuable is that pool? How is the school thought of by national recruits? Um, for USC, I would say yes. Uh, you know, they typically have first pick, and I think you'll see 
programs from outside, you know, the state, sometimes, you know, different conferences. Uh, the biggest competition is always uh, locally UCLA, of course. Um, but for the most part, you know, the, the guys that they've wanted, five-star dudes, really bad, they get most of them. Um, you know, there have been some recent ones, um, you know, Darnay Holmes and stuff that I, you know, I think they felt that they were going to get and, and did not. But for the most part, I think you would, you could say that USC kind of has their pick and it's a very valuable pool. I mean, Southern California provides athletes for the entire Pac 12. So I think a lot of it comes down to, it's not just about getting the, the, the five star and the big name. You do have to evaluate guys because you're turning down a lot of people and that can come back and bite you in the ass because if you're, if you're taking three receivers and the fourth, fifth, and sixth guys that you maybe could have gotten and didn't take, they end up someplace else and are with a chip on their shoulder. You better be damn sure that the three you got are better than those three because then they're gonna, you know, they're gonna come back and um, and put a whole bunch of numbers you on mean, you, so. you. You mean you mean USC might have wanted to rethink the Kenny Clark recruitment after it was over? Yes. Take him as a defensive tackle at some point. Yes, I can imagine that would be. That would that'd be a great example. Uh, and there's a lot of that. So I think a lot of it comes down, just because you have your first pick doesn't mean you're picking the right ones. But I think for the most part, they do have that. Um, as far as national recruits go, they've traditionally done pretty well uh, going out of state and, and getting uh, national guys. It's always a lot easier when you're more relevant. So I think after they won the Rose Bowl, they, you know, they, they get, you know, it's a little bit easier to do stuff. Now this year, probably not as much. Um, they're not really after a bunch of like national guys in the second um, signing period. It's been pretty local, and I think UCLA has been pretty local as well. Dave can talk about that, but for the most part, um, you know, it's a it's a national name. It's a you know top five program, whatever of all time. It, that's something you can sell. They put guys in the NFL, so it's. I think overall, you know, recruiting should never be a limiting factor. It's just about every coach they've had. As bad as you know, good or bad or whatever, they seem to be able to recruit uh, pretty well at USC. Yeah, my anecdotal impression of the like relationship with USC and UCLA in the LA area is it's like an eighty twenty split with the elite guys, whether they grew up like kind of a USC fan or a UCLA fan. Like that kind of predisposes a lot of them. Just I mean, simple fact of it is like most <laughs> I think most Southern California families grow up rooting for USC because USC has been better at football. Um, so that plays into that. Um, and then I think it's, it's largely the case. Like you'll have the occasional like five-star super elite dude. Who's just, you know, wants to go to UCLA for whatever reason, Jalen Phillips, Darnay Holmes, um, who, you know, USC recruits relatively hard. And then you've got the, like that tier of like four stars. And every year in Southern California, there's like 50 of those guys. Um, and obviously, neither school can take all of those. That's why LA is such a recruiting hotbed, and it's why every Pac-12 school is trying to recruit the LA area. Um, UCLA, I would say, probably gets the, you know, if you're generalizing it, probably the second pick of most of the guys in the LA area. But then, you know, UCLA obviously, with the majority of the guys they're going after, they're competing against USC for at least the local candidates. Uh, but then, UCLA also consistently has to fend off you know, Oklahoma for like the Fresno kids. Um, they've got to fend off, you know, Washington occasionally and UCLA, I would say wins the majority of recruiting battles. It gets into with other PAC 12 schools on its home turf. Um, but there are the, they're definitely the outliers. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I think UCLA, because of the, the value of the L.A. recruiting base, I think they get plenty of talent from the local area, but they are probably largely playing second fiddle to USC. Um, and, you know, that could change eventually if, if one team goes on a long, if UCLA goes on a long run of winning and USC suddenly doesn't. Um, but uh, in the near term, I don't see that. Um, and then uh, how is the school thought of by uh, national recruits? I would say um, not definitely not a national brand in the same way that USC is. And I would think even a school like Oregon might recruit a little bit more consistently nationally. Um, UCLA does some decent work in Texas, um, and they've been able to pull guys from you know Tennessee in the past, Georgia in the past, but they're not consistently um, – you know, they don't have like particularly consistent inroads at any particular high school that I can think of uh, nationally. I think there's an element where there's a certain subset of guy who grows up in Texas or grows up in Florida who wants to go be somewhere else. And I think L.A. can be really enticing to those people. So you'll see actually a lot of the national guys that USC or UCLA will get involved with. Eventually, the other school will get involved. I remember Velas Jones, the um, you know, receiver for USC, UCLA was on him too, um, because he was really interested in leaving wherever he was, Georgia, Alabama. What was it? It was uh, Alabama. Right? Yeah, there's Alabama. He's from Alabama, but yeah, I think that was yeah. that. And, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, he was just interested in getting out of there and, and I think LA was, was the option and he picked USC obviously, but, um, you'll see that a little bit, but yeah, I would say it's, I mean, it's definitely a, a known, uh, school nationally. I wouldn't say it's like, you know, one of those top tier national brands, but UCLA probably most years, um, probably I would say three to four of the guys who end up signing come from outside of the West. Uh, this year is actually pretty predominantly California and, uh, states bordering California. Um, as of right now, I think 17 of UCLA's 18, uh, commitments or signees are either from California, Nevada, Arizona, or Oregon. Um, so that's about as local as you get at UCLA. Yeah, so I think both schools, um, I mean, there's there's benefits, obviously, to being in Southern California. You're in a recruiting hotbed. Um, so you're you're basically in the best spot you could possibly be in. Um, and this, this city has two, you know, major universities. So it's kind of a unique uh, situation. But, you know, California ends up being, providing pretty much the whole West. I mean, it's like the Mountain West, the WAC, like, so many of all these players come from um, Southern California, and uh, it's it's really kind of interesting. Um, USC, as far as like the national stuff this year, just to touch on that, like they they got a running back from Indiana, um, a linebacker from Hawaii, uh, athlete from Oregon, so that's you know still in the West, and um, you know they have a, a defensive tackle from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, that's committed. So I wouldn't say it's a big national year uh for usc but that they've done that you know in the past it's one of those things i think stanford probably of all the conferences i mean oh they, yeah they Duh. do the most. yeah obviously yeah they they're recruiting nationally like you know like nobody's business and um i mean it's one of the benefits though that you can there's so much talent in the backyard of you know in, in southern california that's why you would see you know mike riley come down and do uh the, the, the camps and stuff and, and, you know, down in Southern California. Um, there's just a, there's a ton of talent. Here. I mean, we, Dave and I both cover recruiting here. I mean, any kind of seven on seven event you go to and there's division one guys like everywhere. 
Yeah, it's it's really uncanny. And I mean, I, I would just say, like, I think recruiting nationally is an interesting thing for kind of any school to do when it's in a recruiting hotbed. Like, you don't see, I don't know, like, when I look at, like, Georgia, I don't see them, like, recruiting, like, crazily outside of Georgia too much. Or, like, LSU recruiting too crazily outside of its, like, 200-mile radius. But both UCLA and USC seem to have gotten, like, enticed by the idea of, like, going national so often. And it's so weird because most of the other Pac-12 schools are, like, just desperate to get L.A. guys. And it seems like some years, and I, I don't think it's the case with UCLA this year, and it doesn't sound like it's the case with USC this year. But have you gotten the impression that they're just kind of, like, bored with recruiting, like, the, these, these <laughs> L.A. guys? And they're just like, you know what, we're just going to recruit nationally. You know, there's just tougher guys and whatever bumfuck idaho or whatever and they're just like <laughs> let's do it um and it's just, sometimes you do it for the sake of doing it and you're like yeah i want trips yeah <laughs> yeah it's I, weird I, it is kind of weird and you know there's sometimes there's a guy that's local that you know maybe he's not um the highest ranked player on your board but he grew up a fan of your school and you know looks like a really good player and it's like you know sometimes it's just good to have a guy like that where oh, we can get a guy that's like from texas that's maybe ranked a little bit higher or something there's there's more factors especially you know there's more resources trying to recruit that kid and there's the 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 homesick factor there's a lot of stuff there's something to be said for like a homegrown player that you know grew up a fan of whatever school it is and and if you can get that person yeah maybe he might not be as athletically gifted as, as some other guy you could get out of state but if it's close it's like i think you want to take the local guy yeah, I think my, my general feeling on it is it's kind of position-specific. I would probably want to recruit nationally for linemen most years just because uh, the West, for whatever reason, doesn't produce as many like high-quality defensive linemen especially. Um, but beyond that, I mean, the, the, you're, you're playing against so many factors when you recruit nationally um, for the L.A. schools, but I think the Pac-12 in general you can't evaluate those guys as well as you can the guys who are local. Like, the guys who are local, you can see them all the time. You've got friends and family sending you clips of them all the time. They're super eager to, like, be recruited by you, so they're sending you their own film, like, starting their freshman year. Like, you're just overloaded with information on these guys. And then, you know, some Texas kid, you saw him play, you know, one game when you, when you like, played a game in Dallas or something and you saw him play once and other than that you haven't really seen him in person um you know you don't have anybody around him who's telling you what kind of kid he is like all these issues that come into play nationally that you don't have locally that I would I I mean just as a philosophy thing and I think you know this might be this might end up being Chip Kelly's philosophy at UCLA but you've got to have so many other ideas about a player besides just what they look like on a football field because like you said, the homesickness factor is a big one. A lot of these guys just, they don't, they come to LA, I could speak for UCLA, and they, they just don't like it. And they want to go back home to, you know, whatever small town they're from or whatever. Um, and that's a factor, but also like just the character concerns. Because um, you'll run into that a lot of times with out of state guys where you just didn't, you know, a guy you probably would have vetted because you knew 15 people around him if he was at, you know, whatever, Salesian or, or one of the local high schools. But if he's, you know, coming from Texas or whatever, you just don't have that same feel for them. It's funny. I wish I don't. I'm two four seven might do this, but if there was like a hot map of where all the five stars are, um, there's. I mean, there's got to be a very high concentration, 
or the or maybe the you know the two four seven the top two hundred forty seven players in the country is that what they call it now? They have like a what is it like a? We've switched networks. We used to have well, Scout. We had like three hundred, right? The no. Scout three hundred. And what do we and have then, at two four seven? It's like two hundred forty seven guys, right? Oh God, I have no idea, man. That's something like that. Okay, whatever it is. So if you map those out, I, my guess would find you would find there was such a high concentration of guys in Southern California. And I think if you're in like Texas, it's huge. Obviously high school football is huge, ton of talent, you know, Florida, Texas and California, the the three most, you know, the schools where most of the college football players come from. Now, Georgia, I think is, is getting up there too. They can be in that conversation, but a lot of those places just spread out like all over the place. Like it could be from, you know, this one's some suburb of Dallas, this guy's in Houston or whatever, you know, like all over the place. Um, you know, Florida, South Florida, there's a lot of dudes in, in the Miami area and, you know, Dade County, all that kind of stuff. There's a ton in, you know, just in LA and there's, it's, it's just a weird, you know, it's a unique kind of thing. If on a random weekend, two or three, five stars can come and take an unofficial visit to, you know, take a bus and be at your campus in 10 minutes. That's that, a lot of places. If you want to get in touch with a five star, I mean, your hours of driving or whatever away, not, Hey, I, you know, Chip Kelly looks interesting. I'm going to hop on a bus and stop by or whatever. You know, like that's such a unique aspect to Southern California. Um, you know, maybe Miami, you can do that a little bit. But I just don't think there's a lot of schools where that can regularly happen. Yeah, I mean, it's such a huge built-in advantage that it seems insane to me that there have been years where <laughs> there was a year I was doing like I was just going through it today because I, I wanted to tweet something about how local this class was. So I was just looking at like the past 10 classes. There was like one class where I want to say like nine of the 19 guys were from outside of the West for UCLA. And it was just like, what are you doing? Like, why why are you doing that? I mean, and and then I was going through it and I was like, how many of these guys panned out into actual starters? And it was like, I think over the last 10 years, the guys who came from out of state were like, it was like a 25% hit rate. Like, it's just... It's such a crapshoot when you can't evaluate everything about a guy. Um, and it's a crapshoot anyway. I mean, these are, you know, when you start recruiting them, they're like 16-year-olds. So they're going to change a lot. I mean, remember you when you were 16? Yeah. Anybody out there? I mean, you're not the same person now. Um, or if you are, that's very, very sad, and I'm sorry for you. But um, And everyone around you. I'm very sorry for everyone who has to deal with you if you are the same person you are when you were 16 years old. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you... you there's so many things working against you that you would want to maybe stack the deck in your favor um, and try to get the guys you have the best read on and the best evaluation on because you want, you know, you want guys who are going to want to put in the work and want to develop and who have good character and all these other things that, you know, if you talk to a guy a few times over the phone, he comes on an official visit, but that's basically your entire interaction with him ever. Uh, that might not be the best fit. You just don't know. Yeah. It's funny. If you looked at some of the tweets, uh, I think, Chris Cartman, some Sun Devil Source, was tweeting out some stuff. Uh, Herm Edwards and I think set, like six or seven members of his coaching staff were all like doing a tour of Southern California. So they were getting, I think I saw him at Oaks Christian, saw him at Sarah High School. So they're stopping by, you know, they're on his trip out here. They're stopping by these schools that have like multiple four-star, five-star kind of dudes. And, you know, they got to take, they got to come out of state to kind of do something like that. It's great that you're able to do it, but um, you know, if you're Chip Kelly or Clay Helton, like you can have people stop by there, you know, anytime you want. And it's, you know, it's obviously according to, you know, the 
visit rules and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but you see, I mean, the coaches will like just descend on Southern California and there's just so much talent here, uh, really trying to make inroads and the new coaches, you're going to see Kevin Sumlin doing it, Herm Edwards, you know, Chip Kelly getting into the Southern California swing. So it should be really interesting kind of going forward with some of these bigger name coaches now kind of getting into the game. Absolutely. I think it'll be, I mean, it's going to be exciting. Um, and you know, whether anybody can really crack into the, the UCLA USC kind of monopoly on the area in a, you know, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, when was the last time a five star from the LA area went to another PAC 12 school that wasn't USC or UCLA? Can you think of any offhand? It's really, yeah. Like, um, I think Dan Weber was writing something about that, about, you know, the whole PAC 12 and, and recruiting five-star guys. It's just, it doesn't usually happen. I, I yeah, I don't remember, I, you know, offhand, I can't remember the last time. So if, let us know, tweet us, tell us we're idiots because we forgot this guy or that guy or whatever, yeah. but it's not very common. Yeah. And I, I think it's like, so when, when Don James was, was winning up at Washington, uh, I want to say both UCLA and USC were pretty down at the time. Is that a correct recollection? Yeah, like I would 91, think so. 90, 91? Yeah, I would think. Yeah, and that was probably when Washington was recruiting its best, too. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting to look at that. All right, we've got one more section of this thing. You ready? Yeah. All right, this is the politics. Does football have the necessary institutional support and competence from the school administration? How would you describe the factional divisions among the fan base, boosters, and insiders? Uh, really good one, Hithliday. Okay, so I think I kind of touched on this uh, a little bit. Um, I think there's pretty good institutional support for football at USC. I think the president, Max Nikias, uh, is very interested and understands uh, what football means. I don't think it's his focus. He's... It's funny, he'll come up and talk to my beat writer, Dan Weber, all the time after games, during practice. We're like, Dan, how is the team? He's this Greek guy. How is the team? You know, it goes off on it. And so it's always funny to see him come up to and want to talk some football. Um, I don't think, though, it's like the end all for him or, or that kind of the administration. So I think, I think the fan base is more like, hey, they raised $6 billion. Why, you know, why can't we do this? Or why are they not? Why do they have such a small support staff? And uh, I think right now there's some interesting aspects going on because you have a new athletic director. Well, you know, year old uh, Lynn Swan. It's the second in a row. Well, actually, third former player in a row that USC's hired. And uh, was it? Yeah, what Hayden? Gary? Yeah. And then you know, second one in a row that didn't have any athletic, you know, administration experience. Mike Garrett, you know, who won the Heisman, but he. He was in the athletic department as an you know on that staff when he was promoted. Pat Hayden was brought in from the outside the business world. Lynn Swan, same sort of thing. Um, so you don't really know what's in his head, what you know, what his you know strategies are. Um, he's publicly supported Clay Helton, but um, you know there's been a lot of rumblings that you know he would like to get his own guy. Whenever you're an athletic director, you'd like to be the guy that hires the football coach and show everybody how smart you are. So there's some talk about maybe holding back support if they're not going to give uh, coaches, you know, assistant coaches extensions and raises and not having a big enough support staff, especially when you see, you know, teams like Clemson and, and Georgia and Alabama, that they have like 60 people on their recruiting support staff, you know, and USC has like four. So, and so it's, it's very, very different. 
Um, and I think the fan base wants to see much more of a financial uh, investment into stuff like that. Um, and that's just, that's really not the way USC's kind of done things in the past, but you have to change kind of going forward. So I think they're kind of in a transition period now where, you know, will they get to that? Maybe they do if they have a really successful year or if they have a not so successful year and Lin Swan decides to replace Clay Helton and then he's like gangbusters putting all kinds of money into the program. So I kind of think we're in this, it's a weird kind of spot right now, but I think in general, there's certainly institutional support. But I think the people in the USC administration building have been there a long time. They've had two sort of like figurehead athletic directors, you know, and Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan. But the people behind the scenes really hasn't changed. And there's like these fiefdoms there. And I think they're kind of protective of all that. So, um, yeah, I I think there's definitely divisions, uh, you know, within that, you know, and maybe not everyone's on the same page as far as boosters and fans and and some of the insiders and, and the people that, you know, work there. But I think in general, it's it's all right. Um, I think it'll ch- it could change quite a bit, though, after this 2018 season. Sorry, I was For kind sure. of long-winded. Sorry about that. No, no, no. I think we've both been long-winded. We might need to, like, <laughs> reformat this when we actually ask people questions because I don't know if I can listen to other people besides us talk for that long. <laughs> <laughs> I am so uh, sorry. I, did, I shouldn't have done that. But that's... No, no, it was great. Um, I loved it. Every second of it. Yes, yes, um, of course. All right, so does football have the necessary institutional support and competence from the school administration? Now, if you asked um, 10 years ago me, uh, five years ago me, a year ago me, uh, (laughs) four months ago me, I would have said, eh, probably not. Um, UCLA has had a long and storied history um, up until basically the Jim Mora era of going on the super cheap Um, with coaching hires and investment in the program and all that stuff. And some of that was the booster base, but I think a large and huge amount of it was um, the lack of commitment internally to the program, um, lack of, you know, continuity on goals, um, being a, you know, a Pac-12 championship level program year in and year out, um, I think was not necessarily the goal of the program for a long time. Um, internally um they certainly weren't demonstrating that um i think ever since you know basically uh i mean you could make an argument about the terry donahue era um being a kind of a a string of you know somewhat mediocrity and he's lauded as maybe the best coach in you know modern ucla history so there's there's this weird whole cultural issue that um i think had had infected the program for a long time and they kept hiring Donahue disciples like Carl Durrell um, and then Rick Neuheisel. And then Jim Mora, um, he's obviously gotten a bad rap in the last couple of years for uh, how the program uh, kind of struggled in his last two years on the field. But he actually did a lot of really good work in building up um, some of the institutional support and competence, um, kind of kicking and screaming into the modern era. Um, He, uh, you know, he was a big part of getting that football facility built um, with wins on the field, but also doing our outreach and just kind of, you know, willpower and, and, and forcing a lot of change internally. Um, and I think he did a lot just to kind of increase the commitment to uh, high-level football. Obviously, he didn't win enough over the last couple of years, and that was going to um, come back to bite him at some point. But I think he um, and kind of the way they – 
performed over the last or the first few years of his time at UCLA kind of changed the game because suddenly um, I think the UCLA administration saw people are coming out to games a lot more. They seem much more interested in the program. They seem much more invested in the program. There was more money flowing in, uh, especially with the football facility being built. Um, and I think that maybe sparked a little something. I think you have to give credit to um, Associate Athletic Director Josh Rebholtz. Um, he's been a big uh, proponent of, you know, big-time football. Um, he played a huge role in getting uh, Chip Kelly hired along with um, – Casey Wasserman, Troy Aikman, a couple others. Um, so I think you have to give him a ton of credit. And I think there's been a lot of uh, basically a sea change starting with Mora and now obviously with the Chip Kelly hire. Um, as for the factional divisions among the fan base boosters and insiders, I think I don't know if it's completely done. I don't know if the administration is completely on board. I don't know if I, I'm, I'm imagining there are still pockets of, you know, just kind of go along to get along. Um, but I think there's, you know, when you make such a big hire like Chip Kelly, uh, that is a signal of, you know, potential long-term change. Um, so factional divisions among the fan base, boosters and insiders, I don't know if they've been more aligned um, in terms of, you know, goals and, and um, uh, in terms of program goals in recent memory. I think fans have always wanted I, – I, I think there's this – especially in basketball, there's this unrealistic impression of UCLA fans that they're, you know, they, they only want national championships year in and year out. And I don't think that's the case in basketball, but certainly not in football. Um, I think the fans are, you know, pretty reasonable given the recruiting base for UCLA. They'd like it to be a competitive team every year where they're competing, you know, for the Pac-12 South and the conference every year and then win it, you know, like I said earlier, once every four or five years. I think that would pretty much get people excited about the program year in and year out. Um, and, you know, if you win the conference every four or five years, you're relevant nationally uh, every four or five years. And I think that's, you know, probably what UCLA as kind of their standard would like. Um, and I think that's the fan base. I think that's pretty much the boosters and the, the admin at this point. I think there's uh, general alignment in that series of goals. And now it's just a matter of whether, you know, Chip Kelly can do it. Um, but I think, you know, the administration for the first time has made a commitment in a big way to uh, coaching hire. And I think that's uh, got the fan base pretty excited. I mean, this has to be the biggest hire since Rick Neuheisel, right? Like, it's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if you ever wanted, like, just a, I mean, how much of a joke was UCLA that they hired the Denver Broncos wide receivers coach, followed by the Baltimore Ravens quarterbacks coach, who nobody was trying to hire as their head coach? I mean, it's just... You know, that's that's kind of what you expected from UCLA. And so it's why, you know, I was still joking that they were going to hire like, you know, some random like Houston nut this past time <laughs> because, you know, that's that that would be the UCLA thing to do. But no, they surprised everybody. We had some really interesting uh, like some follow ups. Uh, there were some there's some advanced stats dudes on our Twitter timeline that there were and the, the guy from the, the Huskies guy. Um, really breaking down stuff. And I think he backed up what you were saying, which I, I would love to have Rick on the show because I think he's a he's an awesome dude. I don't know why Dave hates on him so much. But he, he was basically using advanced <laughs> stats to show that the programs got worse off like when he was there at the Pac-12. Is that basically paraphrasing what he was saying? Yeah, he, he basically took three different um, Pac-12 programs and made them worse by the time he was gone. Huh. In such a way that I don't think anybody – it was something like it was very unique. Like he was one of maybe 
three. So 74 coaches since World War II have had at least three different jobs, but only five of those 74 have failed to produce a positive score at every single stop. So he has this metric. And uh, Rick Neusel is one of only five coaches since uh, World War II among 74 who uh, didn't fulfill this metric. Um, so that's not as impressive sounding because I can't explain to you the metric offhand right now. Um, but he was bad. And I think uh, my man Andrew has proven that decisively. And you should go check it out on his Twitter timeline. P-Dog 206. Yeah, he's good with those advanced stat stuff. Um, especially it helps that, you know, Washington was, you know, clear number one, uh, in the advanced stats. So that, that makes his day too. But, um, all right. Well, hopefully that's, I hope the day, I hope like that's what you were looking for. And we'll try to do two schools every week, um, along that same format. How do you think it worked? You think that worked okay, Dave? It was okay. I think uh, when we we have to do it more interview style with the next people because we both talked for like insane periods of blocks of time, <laughs> um, and I imagine there are so many people who are like just really not wanting to listen to us anymore. Well, I mean, th- he wanted breaks that like there's really there's little nuances, and only the people that cover those schools are going to know some of that stuff, you know. So that's kind of nice. If it's nice that we have the the panel of experts that we have. And if you are really curious, like, oh, what what is UCLA more like, or what's you know what's Stanford? Do? I mean, you're going to get so widely different answers uh, when we talk to Angie at Oregon State than when you talk to Chris Cartman at Arizona State. I mean, it's just going to be very different. So, I don't know. Hopefully, it, we'll try to make it more interview style because there'll be four, you know, three or three or four of us on the line. I think we'll probably do one at a time. But yeah, one uh, at a time, definitely one at a time. Um, Twitter's so strange. Like, so you keep I keep my Twitter up there. Like uh, while we're recording. Apparently, Blake Griffin has been traded to the uh, Detroit Pistons. So it's funny when you see something like that. Like, we don't talk about basketball at all. But, you know, being an L.A. person, like, oh, Blake Griffin. Um, It's funny how just so many people, you see the same tweets, like, over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. All the comments. It's Twitter's so strange with that kind of stuff. Are you an NBA guy or not really? Uh, Not at all. Not at all, yeah. Not at all. I used to be, um, and then um, I, I was actually a big Lakers fan, and then I just couldn't. I couldn't do it anymore after the Kobe Colorado thing. I was just oh. like, nah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm you out were me too way earlier than most people now. Like, nah, it just made me like the whole thing and like making uh, whatever happened in the Colorado hotel room, making it out to be some heroic thing that after the games, he would fly back to Colorado for depositions while he's making millions of dollars. It's just, this is disgusting. I don't yeah. want to watch this. And they also, um, signed Carl Malone and Gary Payton. And I wasn't down with that either. Gotcha. Um, I'm not a huge NBA. I used to, I mean, I definitely used to watch a lot more college basketball, like just on ESPN, whatever games were on. It's, I don't know. I think we talked about this. I've just lost so much interest in it now. You know, I just don't, I, something's wrong. I think they need to change something like the one and done rule or whatever. Like, um, you know, got to stay for three years, but just, it's just, I don't know what it is, but I've just lost so much interest in college basketball and, you know, I'll watch some NBA, but just not a whole lot. I used to be a much bigger college basketball fan. Um, Actually, probably even than football, um, at least during – so when I was in school, UCLA went to Final Fours uh, three of my five years. Wow. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun, and college basketball was simply better then. Um, and I think it's like – it's a demonstrably worse sport. Like when I, when I was in school, I would watch other college basketball games, like games played between teams that were not UCLA or even a Pac-12 school. And like the last time I did that – well – 
I, I did watch Virginia Duke this weekend. I did watch really a little bit of that too. Yeah, I watched some of that. Yeah, that, and that was a really good game, and it was a lot of fun to watch. But um, like before that, a non NCAA tournament game that was not a Pac-12 game or not a UCLA game actually, I, I can't remember. Um, and I think it, the sport's gotten a lot worse. Um, the one and done thing hasn't helped, but I think it's just. I don't. I, I. I don't know. I think the the quality of play has certainly gone down. Um, I think there's been much more of a prevalence of the AAU style of basketball, where it's just kind of up and down, free flowing, not a whole lot of defense and all that other stuff. And I just think it's, you know, not as not as good to watch. The NBA's kind of gotten way better, actually. If you sit down and watch an NBA game, I just, I don't. Whenever I don't have a rooting interest in like a professional league, it's just hard for me to get really excited about watching any games yeah it's i don't know like i I, like playoff stuff i'll watch i mean the tournament i'll watch but yeah like that i just flipped around like oh duke virginia like two top five teams i'll I'll watch that a little bit but that's i I probably haven't watched a a game like that since the tournament last year so i don't know it's just it's just different now but yeah and uh and we we have not talked pac-12 hoops at all have we like not a not at all and the pac-12 is horrendous at basketball this year <laughs> horrendous um so ken pomery who does the uh the advanced stats for basketball and i know how much you love advanced stats um no pac-12 team is in the top 26 of his wow. uh, um horrendous like just above the aac in his conference rankings Dang. and well behind all the other power five so, uh, yeah, the Pac-12 is horrendous. Um, no one's really good. Arizona's the best of a very bad lot. Um, okay. Well, we did, I guess we did talk a little hoops. Uh, we did have a, another question. This for you, Dave. Um, he wants, This is Earl in West L.A., and he says, how does Dave do it? Dave. Oh, I am, God. I, you know, I just moisturize. <laughs> you know? <laughs> if you just moisturize every day, you can come out looking as beautiful as I do. Nice. Sunscreen? Do you sunscreen mixture? No, no, no. Just moisturizer. I like to get a little a little baked in tan. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, Dave, I am curious to know how you manage to stay on top of Bruin football. Oh, and- that's the question. Okay. okay. Yes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha Staying gotcha. on top of Bruin football and basketball when you are un- unable to attend practice or get to talk to the players. You seem to be managing quite well. So, uh, how have you been able to make this transition? Inquiring minds want to know. Keep up the good work, and whatever you do, please continue the two-hour-plus podcast. Earl in West L.A. Well, thanks, Earl. That's very sweet of you that's to nice. ask That's a USC guy, um, like, giving you compliments. Like, that's I know. Um, well, largely, most of what we discuss on this show is stuff that anybody can see. I mean, it's not like we're, you know spending like when we're doing our game recaps we're recapping based off what we see and then like i've been out like i try to make it out for a few practices in the spring and a few practices in the fall before they close down so i see like still like among like so ucla uh for the last couple years under jim mora they closed freaking practices (laughs) for the entire season so you couldn't see anything anyway um and the interviews afterwards like what you're doing is because they don't do one-on-ones, you're stuck doing a scrum-style t- interview with basically anybody who gets requested. So if a player, you know, if if you want to talk to, uh, you know, Josh Rosen, you're getting him with 10 of your best friends at the same time. So it's not like you're actually, like, getting some real inside scoop. Um, so a lot of the, like, in-person 
stuff, uh, it's not it's not what it once was. Um, so a lot of it is still just kind of like texting and talking to people that you know around the program. So, I mean, most of the stuff I get is through that sort of way. And then just, you know, having watched a lot of these guys, you know, I've, everybody who's at UCLA or basically at any Pac-12 school right now who's from the California area, I watched them in high school at some point. Um, so I've got a pretty good feel for them as players before they came to college. And then I can kind of, when I'm watching them in games, I can kind of base it off of that. But I don't know. There's a whole lot of different resources. And I think the in-person aspect of a lot of this stuff is somewhat overrated. And to be fair, Dave didn't do a whole lot of work when he was out here anyway. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to say that after Earl showered me with compliments. Uh, I'm just kidding, though. That's the whole reason we did we this podcast started because we were both covering some high school event at the same time, you know. Yeah, and you were you were handling it well, and I was probably just bitching and moaning the entire time because <laughs> that's that's my mo. Basically, doing any work whatsoever is just whine about it until it just gets done magically by somebody else. <laughs> well, thanks, Earl. That was very. Uh... Very, very keen of you to uh, to notice Dave's the hard work Dave is putting in there. Look at Earl. Very uh, sweet of you. Yeah. All right. Um, we have anything else? Any other questions? I don't think so. I think that was mostly everything we had from from Twitter and the, some of the the news and stuff. Um, if there's, you know, I so I think we're going to try for Arizona next week. We got to like reach out to those guys. So no guarantees, but um, if there's specific Arizona. Arizona State questions, or you know, send them for whatever school you're interested in, um, or if you have follow ups to anything Dave or I said today when we went in depth on USC and UCLA, um, yeah, certainly send them in. And uh, when those when we get those experts on, we can ask them that. So even if you send like an Oregon State question and we don't have Angie on for a few weeks, like we'll we'll save it and and you know ask her when we when we get her on, but. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to kind of dig down deep into all these different programs, um, you know, especially like Utah's and Colorado's, like newer teams of the Pac-12, like what their what their perspective is going to be. So I think it should be good. So this is a good, uh, good uh, idea from Hithla Day. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully people actually listened and enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> as we as we each talked uninterrupted for five to ten. <laughs> More people are going to listen to these episodes that we're doing now in the offseason than the ones we didn't do last offseason, right? Great point. Great point. <laughs> you miss 100% of the podcasts you don't record. I like it. Could that be yeah. Could that be our new motto or something? Or Maybe. Once we get that big uh, Pac-12 network deal, we're going to need a new motto. Yeah. So, so Email your Pac-12 network representative and tell them. Uh, yeah, we want to be on. Uh, we will actually... You know, somebody tweeted this at, at John Wilner when he was tweeting about um, Pac-12 Network letting go a bunch of personnel, and I think it was a great idea. Uh, just let us run the network. Yes, I mean, I think I think we would do a bang up job. What? Yeah, I mean, what would we do? What changes would we make right away? I mean, well, it would be us talking uh, <laughs> for eight hours a day, just. And not even like video of it, just like our voices playing over like a graphic <laughs> on the television screen. Um, and uh, and the other sixteen hours would just be um, football-related content. Yes, of just any kind, any kind. Old recordings of games, why not? Uh, those football in sixty minutes of the previous season, why not? Just football after football after football. 
It would be cool. Be it. I don't know if the they network. do this, but like, do they do a day like, hey, let's this is a, um, you know, Washington State Day. We're gonna look at every game, like you know, all all of the you know twelve, thirteen games or whatever, uh, back to back to back in our in football sixty, then the sixty minute version, and just play those. Like, I don't know if they do something. Yeah, like, that. like like other networks do marathons, do it for the football season. Yeah, for the different programs. Yeah. Or like just have a deep dive Washington State Day. Like we're trying to do this with this this podcast, but like have a day where you talk about like you know you have a talk show with like you know people who are familiar with the Pac-12 asking them all right. So what's you know the framework around Washington State? What's you know what's their infrastructure like? And then you have another section about just breaking down what they're doing in their air raid these days. Like people would be into that. Not at like mass levels. It's not like you're going to get you know billions of viewers, but you're not getting billions of viewers on any Pac-12 programming, you might as well appeal to the hardcore fan base. I think the SEC actually does that. They'll do like 14 straight days and like every, like it's Alabama day and then it's Auburn day. And like, um, I think a lot of football, but they do other, like they might show some other live sports from those teams. Um, but yeah, like showing the 60 minute version of all their games, uh, interviews with the head coaches or what, you know, assistants and players and all that kind of stuff uh, in the off season. I think that would be really kind of compelling. I and I kind of think we just need to get rid of the regional networks and just have one, you know, like. Yeah, I don't know what what it's serving at this point. I mean, I, I think the no, nobody's watching the like Olympic sports. Nobody's watching those. Yeah, and I think the rare instance where there are two Pac-12 like basketball games on at the same time, I mean, figure it out. You don't <laughs> need to be playing. You don't need to have both those on at the same time on the same network. You just don't. Yeah, figure it out. I think um, the problem is that there's you know they promised all these live events and so you need all these networks but it's just it's so muddled and it's so spread out it's just not it's just not working well, so well like live events i get but like if it's a, because there's there's value in having a live event if you're a cable company because you know people don't want to record it they want to watch it live and so there's more value in it but if the live event is drawing like no eyeballs whatsoever then what are you even doing like why are you why are you playing water polo games we don't need we don't need that yeah, no. I think you could do like the occasional ones, but like they seem to like push them. You know, it's like football yeah. is what people want to see. That's what's going to get your ratings. Um, yeah. I don't know. You never want to see people lose their jobs, and obviously, it's it's happening at the Pac-12 Network now. Just hopefully, they can kind of right the ship and get things together because they they do some really good stuff on the network. It's just the distribution's bad, and then it's just you know having the, all those networks. It just makes it really. Yeah, difficult. And it's funny. I have Sling TV in my office here. I can get uh, the regional networks, but I don't get the main network for some reason. So that there's, it's just weird. Like, why does it have to be this convoluted? Like, with the SEC network, you know what you're getting. There's the SEC network. Um, you'd love to see something like that with the Pac-12. You know, the Big Ten network's great. Uh, you know, they've been around ten years now, so certainly you know they've had more time to get established and all that. Um, but I, I think you could do some really good things with the Pac-12 network. So hopefully they can kind of get it right. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. Um, yeah, I've got nothing else. Yeah, that was good. So uh, we'll look at doing the Arizona schools next week. So, again, send in your questions and uh, tweet us. We do appreciate that, um, all the interaction. And, uh, yeah, that's good stuff. So that's David Woods. Uh, I'm Ron Abraham. You are listening to the podcast of champions. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day to download our little show and listen to it. Hope you enjoyed it and we will talk to you next time.